All right, so what's a, a manager? What's a man-ager? It's someone beyond their teenage years that still behaving like a teenager. Chronologically, biologically adult, behaviorally adolescent. But of course, we're considering this from the standpoint of mature, spiritual maturity. So someone that has been a babe in Christ, but years have passed, and they're still behaving like a babe in Christ. So I, thinking through these things, I feel like there's five important shifts when we talk about coming into maturity. And I mean, you could talk about just adolescence into adulthood, but here in a moment, we'll see if we apply these to Jesus, how we can see it spiritually. And then this morning, we'll focus on the fourth shift. So when you initially just look at these as they are, they come across, um, you know, almost like very blatantly, you know, harsh almost. But I'll give us a, a practical shift to put with it. So, yeah, life is hard. I, I'm not important. Life is not about me. I, I'm not the one in control and I'm going to die. People that are man-agers typically struggle with shifting into these truths, these realities. Maybe all five of them, maybe a couple of them. But what we're really talking about here is learning how to embrace the difficulties of life. We're in delusion if we don't accept the fact that life is full of trials and even tragedies. Learning to care about others and instead of being so self-absorbed and thinking that the world should revolve around ourselves. That's foolishness. Being part of the greater story, right? There's a reason why when we study the book of Acts, we get to the end and it's not an ending. It's an open story that we are a part of. But it's not all about us. We just play a part of a greater cause. Fourth, which we'll be pulled into here just a little bit, learning to surrender to that greater cause. I'm not in control, but as we understand, there is one that is control. And surrendering to his plan and what he would have us to do. Learning to submit to him in all things. And then finally, that shift from the temporal into the eternal. I'm going to die. You know, our culture would say, live your best life now. And they would try to get you to be very fleshly about going about pursuing the things that are before us in this life. But obviously, maturity and even spiritual maturity is being able to see beyond this temporary into that which is going to last forever and living for that. All right, so it's coming to think about the fourth shift. Let's see, this is not exact acting like it was at home. So let me get through this. Okay. So when we talk about you know, discipleship and maturity, then obviously it comes back to being like Jesus Christ, becoming like Jesus. And I think there's an important shift, too, in the way we think about that, because uh, you know, we can fall into a trap and try to like, think that what we're trying to do is become like good people or something, right? But when we think of it like that, like the pursuit is being good, then I think that leads us into people-pleasing, and we're just too commonly uh, getting into thinking about what's going to please others or what's acceptable. And now we have this struggle between, well, what are we really talking about here as far as my growth? Have I just come to a place where I've learned how to make other people around me think that I'm good? Or am I trying to become good at being like Jesus? And that has skill acquisition. It, it, it brings that to my mind. 
So then you have to look at Jesus and examine. I mean, the way he lived his life, he dealt with all the emotions that we struggle with, but yet he was able to live in a way that he was powerful and he was free and had authority. I mean, in the matters of difficulties and these circumstances where other people would crumble, I mean, he was strong and he was courageous. Well, how do we go about becoming like that? And that's where I think this shift becomes important. And if we see it the right way and shifting towards what Jesus did in all of these shifts and trying to bring about the skills that we need in order to do that, then we can become like Jesus in the fact that we're mature and we can handle this life in a manner that he did. So looking at the shifts from Jesus's perspective, the first one, we talk about, you know, life not being easy and embracing difficulty. Well, Jesus left the ease of heaven to embrace all the difficulties here of the earth and then walk the path to the cross and then endure it and endure it for the joy of the Lord and the things that were presented earlier through Psalm 23, right? Jesus humbled and emptied himself. If there was one person that could walk this earth and exalt themselves, it was him, but he humbled and emptied himself, right? But yet man who has no reason, no deservingness to do such things, and we do it all the time. Jesus humbled and emptied himself. Jesus lived and ultimately died for other people. Jesus surrendered to God and the Father's will over and over throughout his life. And then finally, Jesus lived for the eternal and didn't fall prey to the temporal reality that was before him. So when we consider the five shifts in Jesus, we can see where our maturity needs to be arcing towards. But we know that growth is linear, but I really feel like when we think about things from God's perspective in dealing with us and the weakness of our flesh, he expects just minimally that we have effort towards growth. You know, and in dealing with athletes all the time, growth is not always linear. But if we look at things over time, there should be evidence that we are growing. And it's kind of like one of those things when you set a habit. And later we'll talk a little bit more about this. It's okay to stumble. We are weak in the flesh and we are going to stumble, but we can't let our stumbles lead into catastrophic falls. We've got to be able to pull ourselves back to the standard. And Jesus Christ is the standard. So we can't let our culture tell us that life should be easy. And it's about making life easy and that we should go to work so we can make a lot of money and we can retire early and try to create some paradise here on earth. That's not what it's about. We're in a delusion if we think that that's what life is about. But it's very common for people to get that type of notion and live their life in order to try to make life easier. That's not what Jesus was about. And discipleship to Jesus, that's not what we're about. And we can go through and look at each of these shifts and see the lies that the culture would tell us. But we can't do that. We've got to look at the way that Jesus embraced these five shifts and then strive to, to live our life in a way to acquire those skills so that we become mature like Jesus. Now we can serve him. Now we can bear fruit in the kingdom. And of course, we'll carry that straight path unto that eternal reward. And that's obviously where we all want to be. And we want to be there together. All right, so coming into kind of looking at this fourth surrender, I want to examine Jesus in prayer. Obviously not everything, but there's some categories here. And I'm going to move through this, you know, at a, at a good pace just to kind of get it on our minds. 
And then we'll slow down a little bit and look at some practical suggestions. But I know myself, just when I read through the Gospels, one of the things that always happens is in that fourth shift, that surrendering, I always see my deficiency in prayer. I look at Jesus and the way that he prayed and the way that he taught his disciples, and I think about my own habits. And I'm like, I've, I've got to improve. I've got to improve those skills. And then even thinking just personally, the way Satan knows me and works against me, I know that the primary thing that's going to help me get to the next level as far as maturity and being able to be used by God is prayer. And so that's why I want to bring us here. I feel like I'm probably not the only one. So let's look. The first content here is what we see in regard to praying for others. So I'm just going to quote some different scriptures, make some very brief points, and we'll move into the practical suggestions. But when we look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, it said, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Luke 6, pray for those who abuse you. In Matthew chapter 19, when they brought the children to him, he wanted to lay his hands on them and pray for them, but the disciples rebuke him. And that's because children had such a low social status. It's like, no, don't waste your time with them, right? But when we consider the things that Jesus did in regard to praying for others, I mean, even in John 17, before he prayed for unity, it says, I am praying for them. So here in that connection, plugging in with the Father, he didn't just pray for things that would help us in a temporal way. He was focused on the eternal, and he would even do things that are against our nature, like praying for those that would persecute us or abuse us. That's maturity. And so we really need to examine ourselves and think about, what do I pray about? Like if I was to look at my prayer life and just write down and kind of look at it like a pie chart, what is most of my prayer life about? Is it about me and blessing me and making my life easier? Or is there that outward focus that we see in Jesus's prayers where he's concerned about others? And that's the thing that I want us to adopt or see here, the outward focus that Jesus had. We could carry into Matthew 6, and there's a lot of points to be made there, but just a couple things to remember. He said, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. So the motive behind our prayers, like examining ourselves and making sure we're praying for the right reasons. Certainly not to be seen and heap up rewards for men who would praise us. That's not the point. And here he says, you know, go into your room, go in secret and pray to your father. But just checking our motives, because some of us have opportunities, obviously, to be more public with our prayers. But even in the home, when we're praying with our families, what am I trying to accomplish when I pray to God? And of course, we have to examine ourselves to be able to see that the intention is right and pure before the Lord. All right, now the second thing is the time of day. And you can go into Mark chapter 1, and you can see him rising early in the morning and going out to pray. But you can also see in places like Luke chapter 6 that he would, in the night, go out and be alone and then do things like pray all night. So we can't obviously say that there's one time of day that's better than another. But as we'll talk about a little bit later, I think it's important that we do set aside this one, maybe one block, and it might become multiple blocks, but just at least one period of time 
where there is nothing on our schedule that's more important than just talking and being quiet and being with God. So whether that's in the morning, which to me logically makes a lot of sense so that I can get into the spirit and prepare myself to live the day in a way that's going to be pleasing to God. And as we'll talk a little bit later, so that I can also have some forethought about the temptations and the things that Satan might put before me and go ahead and ask God in helping me deal with those things. So that makes sense to me. Maybe that's the place that we begin as far as creating that habit. But when we examine Jesus in prayer all throughout the day, as we see Paul writing in Thessalonians, pray without ceasing, we see that prayer was there all throughout the day with Jesus. Now, as far as his company, examine that. There were times like we see in Matthew 6 where he talked about being alone. But then there were times where he would, of course, depart and go off to a place and be alone for long periods of time. But there were also times like Luke chapter 9 where he purposely took specific people along with him to pray and they prayed together. Right? Like how are you ever going to help someone see how to pray? So if you're in a position of influence or to teach... There's going to be times when you need to take people aside and pray. You know, it's like sometimes when we have gatherings. Now, I know sometimes the children become a hindrance to the purpose of the gathering, but it's sometimes the children need to be there so they can see the adults pray, right? It's kind of like the whole idea, too, that we can send kids to public school and, and get them socialized. Well, no, actually, that's sometimes can be very challenging unless you have great teachers because then they just start to adopt the behaviors of their peers, and that's not what we want. We need to make sure these young people or babes in Christ have plenty of opportunities to be around mature Christians or mature adults so they can see how to pray or see how to do ABC or, or whatever it is. They need to be modeled what it is that they're trying to learn as far as the skill and so that they can grow into it. If they can't see it, they can't become it. So we need to make sure, like Jesus did here purposefully with Peter, John, and James, he took them aside, they went to the mountain together, and they prayed. And then like in Luke chapter 1, we see an example. Now some of this was based on the customs of the law of Moses. There was a whole multitude, and they were praying. And it reminds me of a story here where y'all all came together one evening and prayed for a man who was sick, and then y'all saw God answer those prayers. Wow, that's powerful. And when you bring people together and you focus on worshiping God and praying to him with that type of earnestness and, and the pure motives, it's amazing to see God respond. And he will. Those of us, as we see in the scriptures, when we bring that faith to him in prayer, he will respond. All right. Now, the next one is praying in faith. When we consider what's said, like in Matthew chapter 21, it says, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Makes me think about Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, the type of faith that they had before the fiery furnace. They said God can, God will, but even if he doesn't, he's still God. And that's the way I take it when I'm studying the scriptures and the gospels and I see things like Matthew 21 or Mark chapter 11 where he says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. When I go to God and pray, I need to understand who I'm talking to. He's the creator. He has so much power that when he speaks, it goes forth and it happens. His will is done. There is nothing that can hinder God's will. So when I pray to him, I need to pray with that type of understanding and bring faith 
with my prey. And of course, understanding that if it's not his will, it won't be done. And I accept that, just like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Just recently, I had a great opportunity with some people that I work with. One of them was not necessarily behaving in a way that was very pleasing to the situation or, or their responsibility. And I was talking to the other person and just had mentioned, we just need to pray for it. I mean, at this point, you know, we've done all we can. So just make sure you pray for him. I'll pray for him. And then we had practice, I think a day or two later. And there's some things that transpired at practice. And I just later after I got home and I had some time, I just felt very compelled just to write a journal entry. So I just sat down and I mean, the thoughts were all there based on what had transpired. And I just wrote the journal entry and then again, just felt compelled. I just took a picture of it and texted it to the two people. All right, and just let it sit. And then another day or so later, and some comments have been made, all positive based on the journal entry. But then a couple days later, that one person that, you know, we had been talking together and I said, hey, just pray for him. She said, you're never going to believe what happened. And I was already thinking, I believe it because I know my God. And she said, he called me and he said, hey, you know, what are you doing? Can you step outside for a moment? I, I, I got some things I'd like to say. She's like, yeah, of course. And just for 10 minutes, he just apologized. And he explained to her that the work was kicking his butt and he just wasn't handling it well. And, you know, I, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done this or treated you like this. And, and on and on and on, setting things right. And, you know, of course, I just smiled and she said, man, you know, those prayers really worked. And I was thinking, no, God works. He's powerful. We just have to be wise enough to come before him in all things, right? That situation, she thought it was a done deal. She thought he was gone. Like, this isn't going to happen. But God can change hearts, right? But he needs us. He wants us to come before him and ask him to change the heart. He can do it. But we have to go before him. That's what we see in the scriptures. We can't be idle. We can't sit back on the couch. God's not going to work that way. God wants his people to come before him in prayer and ask those things. And then he will respond according to his goodwill, according to his wisdom, knowing what is best. All right, which leads me to the essentiality of prayer. When we look at the scriptures, the gospels, you know, Mark chapter 9 is a good example. Verse 29 in this situation with the demons, it was said this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And what came to my mind is there's just some things that are not going to happen unless God's people pray. And that shows you the essentiality of this spiritual gift that he's given us, right? Like those that are outside of Christ, he's not going to hear these prayers, but he's blessed us. And he said that if you're in Christ, you can pray and I'll listen. Right? Christ will mediate for us. And even if we don't know what to say, he'll communicate it. He understands. He's given us this gift, but he's also showed us only some things will only transpire if you come to me in prayer. And then I look at Matthew 26, you know, the, the Garden of Gethsemane scene. And it reminds me of how weak we are in the flesh. Well, what's the only way to strengthen ourselves, to get outside of the flesh and walk by the Spirit like Jesus. I mean, think about the circumstances there. And think about the way he handled it. I mean, he came to the Lord not once, 
not twice, but three times saying the same thing because of the emotions that he was feeling, the same types of emotions that we struggle with. He's struggling with him going to the Lord three times, but it strengthened him in the spirit. And then look at the way he just masterfully went through such an excruciating experience for us, right? We can do that in our lives, but not absent of prayer. We have to strengthen ourselves in the spirit through prayer. Next is persistence. Look at Matthew 26 as an example as far as him going again and again, but also Luke chapter 18. The Lord had given us a parable in regard to the persistent widow, and he says, he told them the parable, and it was to the effect that they are always to pray and not lose heart. So on one hand, the persistence in about bringing about God's will, but on the other hand, so that we don't lose heart. Keep coming to God. He's the one that will keep us strong and stable. We also find in the scriptures that it's possible for our prayers to be hindered if our conduct is not correct. So like in Luke chapter 18, the story there between the tax collector uh, and the Pharisee, it was the tax collector that went away justified because he came humbly before God. So obviously if we exalt ourselves, then God will not, or I say God will not justify us in that situation or in that state of mind or heart. We also see in Mark chapter 11, it says that whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So we see there's condition there as far as us receiving forgiveness. We see that also in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, in regard to the husband and the wife. If the husband will not live with his wife in an understanding manner, if he will not honor her, God will not listen to his prayers. And that makes sense. God has placed the husband as the head of the household, and if he won't honor his wife, then why would God honor the husband, right? So we have to live according to his ways if we expect him to continue to expend, extend the spiritual blessing of prayer to us. Now, the next one's obvious. In Luke chapter 29, we see that it was his custom. And that's where we get into the practical suggestion at one point. I'll speak of the need to create that block or that habit. And then finally, this need to be prepared. And this is another reason why I think creating that block or that habit in the morning is so important. In Luke chapter 22, verse 40, it said, When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And so what that brings to mind for me is preparation. And you'll hear sometimes, it depends on what you're listening to in the world, but a lot of people will talk about, you know, just positive thinking, the positive visualization, and all of that is very important, right? If you talk negative and you say negative things, it can be self-fulfilling. So the positive thoughts are very important, but there's also wisdom in understanding that you need to think about the bad things that can happen. So the temptations that have befalled you, right? And that's one of the things later we'll talk about with journaling that's so important is that when you stumble, if you're writing these things down, then you're starting to understand how Satan is attacking you. You're seeing your failures and it's, it'll happen consistently. 
And then you'll be able to understand how you can go to God and address those failures so he's just not hitting you in the same place for all of your life, right? So in being prepared, I need to think about the ways that he's going to attack or the things that can happen and how I'm going to handle those in a way that pleases God. So it's not filling your head with negative stuff. It's thinking through the things that can happen so that when things do transpire, whether it's this or that, you're ready to perform your best or you're ready to perform in a way that's pleasing to God and that's right. So it's preparation. And we see that when he talked about praying so that you don't enter into temptation, strengthening ourselves. And then lastly, we see this element here of prayer and fasting. We know that prayer and Bible study are the dynamic duo, but we also see this in the Gospels, right? How fasting can help take us away from the temporal, something that we all love to do, putting food in our mouth, and help us focus more on the spiritual. And so that's, I know that's something that's not very common for a lot of us, is to fast and pray commonly, but we see it among John's disciples, the Pharisees did it, and if J Jesus' disciples, if he wasn't there with them, so later we would assume that they prayed and fasted a lot too, like it was very common. And so I put that before you as something to think about. All right, now let's come into uh, the practical suggestions. Like I know with me personally and the way Satan attacks, it'll be like at times, you know, like a quarterback moving up and down the field, being pretty proficient, but he knows how to kind of knock me down. Like the offensive line breaks down and not handling things really well. Maybe I know the running back's in the flat or the tight end's got the hot route, but I'm just not executing well. And then later I watch the film and I'm like, ah, I could have done so much better, right? So I know I'm ready to, to step it up. But this is the thing. I know every single one of us can game up or level up from where we are. And that's all he asks. Remember, God just expects, at a minimum, growth. So we examine things like this in regard to Jesus' life and discipleship. All of us can level up. But it's just a matter of we're going to give this the attention and seriousness that it deserves and step away from here and be a doer of the word. Remember, James said it's the doers of the word that are justified. So it doesn't really do too much good to come in here and just listen. So that's why I talk about these are practical suggestions. And in that reminder, I know there's a place, because I use it, where you can write things down. And that's my challenge. What is that next step for you? What's that action step, that next thing that you're going to do in order to grow and become more capable and more useful to God? That's what this life is about. Right? And we have to embrace the difficulties, the changes. We have to get outside of comfort to do those things. So the first thing I put before you is a praying through the Bible or prayer with the Bible tool. And this can be adjusted for whatever phase of life that you are in. I have small children, so I'll present to you the, the model that would work well with children. And all it is is some prompts. So it would look like this. Dear God, you are. Dear God, you Dear God, forgive me for, dear God, thank you for, dear God, help. So imagine families around the dinner table, you bring out the sheet of paper that has the prompts, then you would just read. If you're going to start it today, you could just read Genesis chapter 1. And then each person in the family, from the youngest to the oldest, is just writing and filling out the prompt. And then you go around and share what you've written. 
So if I were to read Genesis 1 like I did previously, these are some of the things that I might write. Dear God, you are the almighty creator of the universe, the king of all. Dear God, you speak and power goes forth and your will is done. Dear God, forgive me for not being mindful that I was created in your image and reflecting you to my children and my family day in and day out. Dear God, thank you for caring about mankind, about me and making a way for us and being patient with us. Dear God, help me walk in the light so that I can be with you in paradise forever. You can see how simple it is. And if you do it with children, there's going to be so many humorous moments where we can all learn to just have fun and enjoy talking with God. So that's the first thing I put before you a tool that gets you into God's word and praying alongside it, right? So that we can mold ourselves not only to his will, but so that we're getting into the spirit more routinely in our life. And that's what growing and becoming more mature in Christ is all about. Putting the flesh aside, getting into the eternal mindset and being more spiritual, being able to walk by faith, walk by the spirit. The second thing I put before you is journaling. If you look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, you can see there's a mentioning there of different prayers. It, it talks in there of entreaties, petitions, prayers, and thanksgivings. Journaling is a way to kind of get that variety into your praying and maybe even certain categories. I know some of you with different types of personalities would really like that, whereas others, not so much. But just like the first suggestion, it's adaptable and you can make it work for you. But I know one of the great things that I love about journaling is that when you write it down, then later you get to kind of track and see the way that God is responding to your prayers. And that is extremely encouraging because then you know that God is listening because you see the way that he responds, whether it's yes, no, maybe, wait, and so forth and so on. The other thing that I find that's very beneficial is it helps you stay in touch or at least communicate within your family so that you're continually mindful of the people that need your prayers, right? And if you're going to be one of those that it's one of your works to just reach out and encourage others, the journaling helps you do that and stay consistent if you create the habit. Now, thirdly, creating the habit. So for some people, it is creating some type of method. So if it is for you, hey, I'm going to set aside 10 minutes in the morning and all of us can just wake up 10 minutes earlier or whatever and set aside that time right might even bundle up when i go running in the morning there's this person in this one street it doesn't matter how early i go whether i'm out there at 4 30 or whatever she's always out there she sits in her carport and she is bundled up she's got the hood on i mean she's smoking a cigarette too and i don't know if she's just playing on her phone but i like to think she's praying she's doing something though and i'm thinking if you get up that early it must be something important Hopefully not the cigarettes that important. Maybe it is praying, but we can do that. We get up early and we create the habit. Nobody is going to mess up this time. This is my time with God. We're going to talk. I'm going to get prepared for this day. And for some people, I know a method can be helpful. So I'm going to share one with you that I found recently. And I think something like this or similar, depending on where you are, could be extremely helpful to help you get the habit and then once you've got that habit, it helps you build it into the rest of the day. 
So in this one, you would begin the prayer by just expressing gratitude, thanking God for the blessings. And not just yourself, obviously, but in the things that you're connected to as well. The second is awareness. Just being able to visit the things that have transpired in the last 24 hours where you may have stumbled or you were weak and just talking to God about it so you can strengthen yourself and not make those same mistakes and not be weak in those certain circumstances. Third is pondering the significant moments. You know, things where you may have seen God at work or you might have recognized his presence or something of that nature and giving thought to it. That's something that's very significant that we have got to be able to do in society today because we've got all these things that want to bombard us and it's really hard to be still and quiet. But if we'll bring that into our prayer life and make it a habit and just think and try to be aware of God, then we'll start to see him everywhere, right? And we'll be able to walk by the Spirit. Those that are walking by the Spirit, they do. They recognize God at work in all aspects of life. Those who are dull of heart and walk by the flesh, they can't see anything. That's why they don't believe there's a God. They're in the flesh. They can't see. But this is a way to help us intentionally become more spiritual and see God at work. The fourth thing is peace. And this is where looking at the things that I've done wrong, the mistakes, the sins, and talking to God, asking for that forgiveness, and even trying to figure out, based on certain situations, what I need to do to make things right with others if I've sinned against them. And ultimately, this is about peace. God being able to give me, give you peace. And we have to have forgiveness and be willing to forgive to have peace. The fifth thing is freedom. When we look at Jesus, he lived with power, he lived with authority, but he lived with freedom. Oftentimes in this life, there's so many things that we allow to be bars, and we act like we're not free, even though we've got Christ. This is an opportunity in our prayer life to think about those things in the flesh that have got us hindered, that have got us locked down, and trying to work with God to free ourselves from those things so that we can truly live free like we should to like we should be able to. Because a servant of Christ, those that are in Christ, we are free. He has delivered us from sin. We don't need to live like we're slaves. We're not. But if we don't go to him in prayer and work through that, we will live as slaves. That's what happens in this life. Six is others. This is where we get outside of self and we're thinking about others, people that we need to pray for, everything that pertains to the others in our life. And then seven, and this is kind of adaptable, uh, in the method that this person had said, they like to go back to Matthew 6 and just read the, the Lord's prayer as he talked to his disciples. But it's also a good time just to be quiet and just see if the Spirit might bring thoughts or things before you. But that stillness might be a good time or a good place to kind of end. All right, now coming to family dynamics. Bottom line here is we've got to fight against Satan. We've got to fight against cultural norms, societal habits, and the big thing here is just keep coming back to it. Dad prays, mom prays, the kids pray, and we keep coming back to it. It's demonstrated, it's modeled, we talk about prayer, and this is not a gimmick. This is not manipulation. Guys, this is one of the greatest spiritual gifts we've been given is that we can entreat the Father who sits in heaven on his throne. It should be that important in our life that we do it all the time and that when our kids have a problem, we go to prayer. But if that's not what's modeled, 
then our kids aren't going to learn to pray. Or they'll just memorize some things that they've heard, you know, in the church building over the years. And then they'll get up here and just regurgitate it, right? Over and over. We've heard that, right? But let's get away from that. Let's learn how to pray in the spirit. Coming from the heart. Pure. And so if we don't do that in the home, then how's it going to go forth? When you study the scriptures, you go to Deuteronomy 6. What's the first institution that God created to carry faith from one generation to the next? The family. So if we're going to learn to pray like we should and grow to maturity in Christ, it's got to be in the home. And Satan is going to be coming for you. He's going to try to make you stumble, make you busy. Phone calls will come when you try to sit down and, and do the praying through the Bible tool. All that stuff's going to happen. You're going to stumble. You've got to keep coming back. Keep showing up, right? We get it in school. We get it in athletics. If you could just keep showing up, be consistent, be consistent, then we know monumental growth will come over time. It's the same with prayer and growing spiritually and getting stronger. As a family, we can't make excuses. We've just got to keep coming back to it, keep coming back to it, keep coming back to it. We drift away, get focused on it. No, what have I done? Keep coming back to it. Prayer has got to be interwoven into the lives of the family. Everybody's involved, and we're doing it together. And then lastly, I bring you to this. Slow down. If you've ever read Fahrenheit 451, it's extremely interesting because Bradbury wrote it in the 50s, and a lot of things that he wrote in his book, technology that hadn't even been created yet, some different parts of society and the way things were, they're exactly how it is today. It becomes really relevant. And there's even a part in there where Montag, uh, the narrator of the story, who talks about, well, we've won two atomic wars since 2022. And it's like, wow, we're even in that year now after all these years have passed. But one of the people in there that is an, a character that's about keeping things the way they are, because in this society, firemen, they burn books, they burn houses. They want to keep the people ignorant, because if you can keep them ignorant, then you can keep them in their place. And he said this to Montag, who Montag who has, has had an awakening. He's starting to question things, and he doesn't want to be a fireman any longer. And Beatty says this, that's the fire captain's name. He said an explanation and tells him to imagine the 19th century man. He said, quote, with his horses, dogs, cart, slow motion. Then in the 20th century, speed up your camera. Books cut shorter. Condensation. Everything boils down to the gag, the snap ending. Classics cut to 15-minute radio shows, then cut again to fill two-minute book columns. Many who were those sole knowledge of Hamlet was a one-page digest. Politics? One column, two sentences, one headline. That's it. In this society, they removed front porches, no gardens, no rocking chairs. They wanted to take everything out of this society that allowed people to just sit down, be still, talk to one another, have ideas, and think. To even ask the big questions of life. And then they took technology and they made a way to create it so that there was so much entertainment that it was infiltrating minds 24-7. And as another character talked about later, you could throw a seed in the TV parlor and it would shape you any which way it wanted to. Who can stand against that? And that's exactly what happened in this very bleak society. But it's exactly what can happen to us too if we allow it. 
if we are plugged in to our electronic devices, the TVs, the cell phones, 24-7, then there's no way we can plug into God. And y'all have lived it. I hope if you never have, at least try it. Just put the cell phones away, the technology away for just 24 hours. And then you'll know that I'm telling the truth because you'll notice a difference in your spirit and the way that you go in your relationships and your life. We have control. This is one of those things that we could easily go before God and ask for freedom. Take these bars away. We're in control, but we give our control away to these societal habits and norms. We need to relinquish them so that we can get plugged into God 24-7 instead of these other things and find stillness in our lives so that we can get our priorities straight. But that will not happen unless we're intentional. And so I'll leave you with this story as we conclude. There was a farmer walking, walking along the way with his sons. There had been a storm and it had messed up some of the fences. And so he's headed to go mend some of the fences with his sons. As he's walking along the way, one of the farmhands sees him and insists that he come and help because there's so much to be done that day. And he says, if, if you just do it with your boys, it's going to take too long. Farmer digested what was said, looked at him and said, I'm not going to mend fences. I'm raising my sons today. We have that opportunity in everything that we do, but our perspective has to be right. And we have to be intentional with the way that we spend our time and what we do. My challenge to all of us is in regard to prayer. Let's take control of our lives and make sure that prayer is interwoven into every aspect of our lives and our family's lives. We'll be better for it. All of us will be better for it. And the people around us, even those that are not in Christ, will be better for it. When studying the book of Ezekiel, one of the very interesting things is that it spoke of the false prophets and it spoke of the peoples who lost their souls because of the things that they did, who otherwise would not have lost their souls. There's consequences for the way we live our lives. And if we're not faithful, if we're not righteous, though we've been given this privilege, there are those around us that may not receive the blessings of Christ and may, may never come to know the real Christ. They may buy into the worldly Christ or they may, or may never give it an ear. But I promise you, if prayer dominates our life, we will be strong in the spirit and everybody around us will be affected in a way that certainly pleases God and we'll be able to walk the path, the straight path unto the eternal reward. That's worth it. That's worth embracing the difficulties and making some fleshly sacrifices. I put that before us this morning. Now, this, of course, is not a lesson to try to get us to obey the gospel. But we know prayer is a gift that comes in Christ. And if you want that prayer, you have to be willing to repent. You have to be willing to confess that Jesus is the Son of God and be baptized. If you're ready to do that, then come as we stand and sing. There's a